everyone, welcome to another episode of Baiju Billabong. I don't have my host Reese with me today, but I have a special guest, uh, Professor Miranda Brown, or Dong Muda. Is that, is that how I pronounce your Chinese name? Dong Muda. Dong Muda, okay, of um, uh, Michigan, University of Michigan uh, in Ann Arbor. And yeah, she uh, is a specialist in Chinese food history, if I'm correct. Yes, I, I guess you could say that. And of course, everything else, likely you would have um, an understanding of China. And yeah, I'm very excited to talk um, a lot about, I mean, I mean, Michigan at the moment is very uh, tenuous from what I hear as an overseas person. Um, you know, there was that attempted kidnapping of Donald Trump, I think. Oh, no, 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 that was our governor. Oh, Trump, I think the governor, sorry. Oh, my brain's not working. Just woke up. The governor by Donald Trump fans or something, yeah. Yes, yes, that we, we, great to know that that made the news around the world. Yeah, and there were people trying to stop the vote and um, it's very close. You know, I myself have a, have a, um, commitment to it because I, I did put $50 down on uh, that Biden winning Michigan when it was odds are really good so oh wow <laughs> well, we, we, he won by 100,000 votes yeah but it hasn't paid out yet because they're still counting and it, I don't know how it works and I don't know how I don't know how long it could take because in Australia when, when we count it, it it's kind of out by the day usually unless it's like a sort of a, a seat that's sort of a hundred votes different so they have to recount it over and over again Okay. We, 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 um, it's been basically called um, in most states. I think that there's yeah. one or two outstanding, and there's a recount in Georgia. Oh, good. Yeah. It's just, but, it's just a mess, isn't it? Um, no, so, no. Yeah. Donald Trump lost. I mean, <laughs> pretty decisively. Yeah, but he, he seems like he doesn't want to go away. And it, it's just a, it's a huge story in Australia because we're basically a colony um, of America since this. Since the seventies, after the British, well, we kind of just left the British because they they couldn't do anything anymore. Uh, they become muted, and um, it dominates our new new cycles. And as we were talking before we started, like um, you know, you said that um, I've uh, you, might, you might have had some problem understanding me because I have a pretty thick accent. But um, like in Australia, we have so much American media; we're saturated with it, and we consume it every day. Um, I feel I could do an American accent if uh, given the chance, but uh, oh, I'd, I'd like to hear that. Let's let's hear it. <laughs> um, oh, I can't do it now. It's it's like I'm like, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I can't do it now. Nah. Uh, I'll, I'll do it if I was another Aussie because we like to make fun of Americans. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, what do you teach at um, University of Michigan? I teach Chinese studies mostly. Um, I teach a course in Asian food history. I teach a class on something called dietary modernization in China. Um, I, I do classes in the history of medicine. So I wrote my last book on the history of medicine in China. Um, oh, really? Oh, traditional that's crazy. Chinese medicine, yeah. Because um, my um, grandf grandfather's family on my mom's side actually worked in the medical field. Um, for under under the emperor's family inside the actual um, court. Wow. Yeah. So, um, and I, I don't know. It, it sounds like what they were cooking up was a bunch of uh, very uh, superstitious, non scientific. But I, I don't know. I don't know anything about it. 
because it kind of just got wiped away during Cold Revolution. Not, I mean, not entirely, but th that's an interesting thing that you're bringing up because the Qing um, household kept really good records of the of women in the household. So uh, demographers have been able to reconstruct fertility patterns. Um, and oh, really? Fertility, yeah. Um, so that's, you know, it's actually really good stuff out. There's a good material out there. Oh, yeah. I mean, my family is, I, I would basically say it's like half Manchu. It's just we, we chose the, the Hui thing after the revolution because no one wanted to be Manchu. Um, yeah, they were like kind of like seen as the landlord ethnic group. Now it's a bit opposite. Now no one wants to be Muslim. <laughs> well, you should talk um, to my friend Sean Dunn at Urbana Champagne. She wrote a book on, on Manchus and in Manchuco and all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that's that's interesting. Um, about like I don't know. I like my my grandma stands by Chinese medicine. She's like it is scientific because you know they 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 did they did do the, sort of the try and error thing for thousands of years, and some of the the, the recipes do kind of have some benef uh, benefits. Is that true? Or? Well, I mean, there's a Nobel Prize right for for this. Really? Um, well, the, yeah, the Chinese won a Nobel Prize, I think, in 2016 for um, this, this substance called Qinghao, which is in an early medieval manuscript, um, and it's a treatment for malaria, and turned out to be a very effective um, anti-malarial agent. Yeah, I mean, it, you, you're definitely going to be able to get something correct after, you know, you, you, all that trial and error, and they do have, Chinese people keep amazing records, so I noticed, like, you can get, um, you know, just things that you can't get in Europe, say from thousands of years ago, like, um, you know, household numbers from random provinces and cities, or just even how much grain is in some areas. Um, what, what's that Chinese thing? Like, is it CNKI or something they use? Um, the Chinese sort of like scholar base? It has so oh, there, much There's a journal database, yeah, CNKI. Yeah, it's crazy. And I wish I was better at Chinese or read it. But yeah, like, um, all I ever learned about um, Chinese medicine um, otherwise, apart from my family, was was that Duke or Hua Tuo, I think. Oh, Hua Tuo, the guy who supposedly did surgery. Yeah, I don't even know if it was real because he, he seems to be in Three Kingdoms, but yeah. Um, <laughs> and there was uh, that yellow guy. Um, uh, he was like in the mid Warring States period. Um, Pian. Yeah, it sounded like a bird, to be honest. Like a, um, and... Well, he's depicted in, in murals as half man, half bird. Oh, because his name literally means like, um, I think like a type of bird, a finch. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, in terms of the, do you, so do you use any Chinese medicine yourself or? I do. I sometimes. I mean, um, let's say that I, I had some very suspicious cold, flu-like thing um, in late um, February. My husband had taken his mom out to a nightclub for her birthday because she's young at heart. And it was in Detroit and they came back and my wow. husband got very sick. And then my daughter got pretty sick and I know that my daughter was very sick when she stops eating sweets and she goes to bed you know easily um that's what happens when you're four years old um, <laughs> um and then started to throw up and then I got it and I, I told my I had, a grad, I had a graduate student who was in Singapore and he was coming back for a visit actually basically to leave the program um for personal reasons but he had heard that I had this like cough that wouldn't shake after like flu like symptoms so he brought um monkshood 
actually a monk fruit, um, dried monk fruit to me and told me to, to boil it down into a decoction. And so I took it and the cough went away. Yeah. Um, ginseng also, I, I take probably a little too, you know, I think in a, maybe in an overly cavalier fashion. Um, but there's, you know, there, there are things that I, I have taken that I, I would swear by. Yeah. So I don't know if it's a placebo effect, but it, it seems to work. Like um, my, my parents always said, um, it, it, can, like, it, it cures the sauce. And um, I think that's an old Chinese saying. Well, it is where, an old medicine? saying, but there, there are things that have pretty good clinical evidence. Um, you know, I teach a course on this and we do, the, we do a review of the clinical evidence. And, you know, I would say that there's probably a lot. There's another drug under development that, you know, there's this ethnic Chinese, I think probably, I think from Taiwan, who's doing a um, study of sort of TCM sort of decoctions mm -hmm. that treat Alzheimer's, which is, you know, a huge problem as their population ages. And they seem to be getting yeah. pretty good results. So I think that there's a lot in that tradition that we have yet to fully mine. And what's interesting about this case is he's not just taking an active ingredient from an, you know, an herbal or botanical substance. He's actually mm -hmm. thinking about the way that, you know, drugs interact with each other. Um, and, and looking at it holistically. And this is something that, you know, is very hard to sort of, I would say, evaluate with um, your standard clinical trial, which, you know, wants to sort of look at just one sort of substance or, or chemical agent, right? So this yeah. is, might actually end up, you know, forcing us to kind of come up with a new paradigm for evaluating drugs and drug Yeah, efficacy. definitely. And a lot of people don't know, like, it's a huge market as well in China. Like, we even have um, Turin Tang in, down in Melbourne, like uh, a few stores. And it's, you know, it's sort of a lot of um, very old people um, and, and it, 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 it does, it's, it is for a thriving business. Um, and because I, I notice when Chinese people get older, they, they get more into Chinese medicine and traditional culture. Um, yeah, let, so let, let's talk about um, your, your other specializations, um, uh, like namely food. Um, uh, you probably noticed that there's been a lot of um, discussion on Twitter, especially because that, that's basically where we met um, and pe people from Vietnam or people from Korea and they, they will argue and fight over cultural appropriation, which is also an iffy topic in that way. And they're like, oh, China stole this or China stole that. And I'm like, I thought a lot of those, that, that kind of food was actually influenced by Chinese food, but I, I don't know myself. Like, I mean, there's a lot of Chinese influence wherever Chinese people go, right? <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, often you have to follow the, the migration. And, and I think one of the big things that you see in Southeast Asia is this enormous amount of Chinese um, culinary influence, mostly from, you know, um, Guangdong and especially Fujian. Um, mm. So I think that's really hard to deny. Now, there has been some work on, on you know, whether there has been some, you know, flows backwards, uh, for example, from Vietnam into Southern China. Um, so there's an article actually in the volume that was, I think, done about 20 years ago about, the origins of changfen, which is, you know, a dim sum staple. It's that sort of rice noodle that has, that's a roll, yeah. right? Um, usually with shrimp or pork. Um, and there's some question about whether that is related to, I think something called banchun, um, which is, you know, a, a, a similar product found in Vietnam. Um, so that's, you know, I think it's hard for me to sort of deny that there would be influence going in the other direction as well, since we know that many Chinese immigrants or Chinese migrants mm. to Southeast Asia never really intended to stay, right? And they went back and they often left family members in the mainland. Um, so I could see those kinds of culinary influences working in, in the other direction. 
but there's definitely a tremendous amount of Chinese influence and um, culinary influence in the Philippines and in Vietnam and Thailand, right? Um, yeah, Thai food, it, it seems very, I don't know, it just feels very Chinese compared to the, the other countries. Or uh, uh, it, like some of the dishes, just um, like especially <laughs> the beef dishes, if you know what I mean, yeah. Well, Malaysia has some too. I mean, uh, Carl's been doing oh, especially yeah. sending me a lot of pictures. Um, so I think that, you know, I guess the question is, what is at stake by saying someone took this or someone took that, right? I mean, sometimes- I don't know. It's not a lot of stupid nationalism. <laughs> There, yeah, there's there's some of that, right? I mean, I mean, there's there's a lot of these countries in Southeast Asia are faced with the sort of, let's say they 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 see it as a specter of a rising China, um, and from what I understand, you know, there's there's some resentment or concern, right, about, you know, what they would call a tributary relationship. Um, I mean, it's fair, yeah, it's fair, you know, um, given the, the the history of certain countries with China, yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of. But many of these countries, um, let's say even uh, Burma, uh, they, they didn't really exist um, in this kind of form where all the ethnic groups were united um, into one country, even, even today, you know, and a lot of colonial constructs as well, um, you know, controversially say that about, say, India in some kind of way or another. Um, but um, in Vietnam, it, it's very, I find it very interesting because um, Vietnam, if you go back 500 years ago, all it constituted was North Vietnam. They, most of the land itself was conquered away from Cambodia. So um, if they, you know, if you want to talk about, it becomes this very difficult topic of like, yeah, give back, you know, because um, I've seen Vietnamese nationalists like say, give back Canton to Vietnam. But I'm like, that's 2000 years ago, man. Um, <laughs> where does it stop, you know? Well, this is a very complicated issue, right? I mean... <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I mean, there, there are lots of parts of the United States, if you're going to use that logic, um, well, I guess all of it. Yeah. <laughs> be vacated. Um, so, I mean, I guess that's maybe my view is it's not always the most productive ways to look at history, you know. Um, yeah. But on the other hand, I'm not sure that, you know, every locality needs to be its own sort of nation. Yeah, that's definitely not. Right. Like the proliferation of na nations and, and national conflicts does not strike me as sort of a necessarily a very positive way to go. Mm. Or, or we'll be stuck in the Stone Age still, you know, just tribes fighting over who sheep and hills, whatever they did back then. I, I have no clue. I mean, honestly, uh, I'm from California. I mean, Northern California and Southern California will probably fight it out over water and God knows what else. So, <laughs> yeah, probably. And you know, Chengdu and Chongqing and fight over pot pot. They, they seem to hate each other over there when I went there. They just and if you go off. to Singapore, they have a history where the, you know, the Chaozhou and the um, Fujian people and the Cantonese fight and had wars, right? And Wait, they, did they bring that over to Singapore all the way from Canton? The, the um, I don't know if they brought it over, but they brought, they, they came, <laughs> they showed up and they spoke different languages and they fought. And so I think the Singaporean government keeps tabs of, with um, about the background of each of their, their officials. That happened in um, Australia as well, actually. So when they first came for the gold rush, right? Yeah. They were fighting each other while the Australians were trying to kill them, like the white Australians. No, so I, I, like, I believe my mother would, was from, from Guangzhou and she had a lot of negative things to say about people from Taishan. Yeah, and it just made it sense. I'm like, dude, these white Australians are literally trying to lynch you and you guys are still trying to like fight each other because... Oh, it's just such well, a Chinese it is, thing. It is the Chinese way, right? <laughs> where's your Where's your family from? Like, so uh, my, my ancestral home is a place called Sanshui, uh, which is in southern Guangdong. Um, but my grandfather, uh, my grandmother, I think, family went to Singapore 
when it was Malaysia, of course, I think sometime in the Qing dynasty, I'm guessing, but I'm not sure. And then on the mother, my father, the mother's father's side, I think he, he arrived as a teenager, um, my guess in the 19, late twenties or mid 1920s, oh. probably was a coolie, I'm guessing. Um, Sanshui was a very poor place. Um, and then he returned to China in the 1950s with um, eight of his nine children. Yeah, oh, that, that would make a lot of um, sense if, if there's a lot of uh, sort of angst against, because I'm, I'm having a lot of the Hakka and you know, Taishan and Chojo people, they sold each other out as coolies to the West. Shocking history, um, that time period. Um, yeah, that's all Southerners. Yeah, my family's all from the north, you know, Beijing and Shenyang. So, well, uh, so you are already six feet tall. No, I'm actually the shortest. I'm like five ten, but my, okay. my cousins are like six foot three for some reason. But you have the Imi ba, right? <laughs> what Imi ba? What does that mean? It's like one 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 point eight meters. Imi ba. Yeah, that's so weird because people that's in China are not that tall. Number. They're obsessed with height in China. Yeah, it's so you're crazy. Imi ba. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you, if you're not. Um, there was like, I heard someone say something horribly ableist. It was like, if you're not 170, you're second grade disabled as a man. Well, like I'm five foot seven. And Chinese like, language, so wrong. How do you say ableist? Is that actually a word that people use? Yes, it is. And like, that's, um, I'm like, that's so mean. Cause they were talking about this dude at work. He was like around five foot five. And he was a nice dude. And he was just getting attacked cause he was shorter. And oh, I, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm on the 27th percentile, 26th percentile for American women. So I, I know what it's like to be short. <laughs> oh, really? Well, what's that? It's like five foot. I don't know. Um, the average height is five foot five. Oh, so you're like five foot three or something? I don't know. Five foot two. That's fine. That's, <laughs> hey, look, it's that's four like inches that, taller than China, so. mother. So that is considered pretty good. But also you have to remember I'm old. So for my generation, it's, it's, I'm not, a, I'm not, a, I'm not extremely short. I'm just like average. <laughs> no, you're not. Like my, my, um, Taiwanese ex, well, her, her, her family was from Guangzhou and they were all five foot two. So that's, seems to be the norm. You know, it's not nothing bad about being short. It's just, it's the weird obsession of height there. Like my sister's five foot seven and they're always like, oh, you're so tall to her when she goes to China. And <laughs> it's, and I just don't understand because it's something you can't control. Like there was a case I remember a few years ago where a law, a law student couldn't apply for a law school and he got rejected because he was under five foot seven. It's like <laughs> some magical number at 170. If you're not there and, you, and you're a man, you can't do law. I think I think a friend of mine is working on the measurement stuff. You would I would check out the um, the works of Wendy Fu, who teaches at Emory. Wendy Fu. Yeah, she goes by Jachan, but it's it's a really it's an interesting topic. I've been kind of interested in the question of why people are obsessed with height, you know, and it has some interesting connections to things like diet, right, and the modern Chinese diet and the way that you know people really do see sort of short stature as a national problem that has to be overcome with you know superior nutrition. Yeah, yeah, because my grandfather was extremely tall. He was like six foot plus during um, World War Two, so he was huge in that time and my grandma's like five foot and he was always bullying her saying you're so short and I'm like why would you do that when why would you marry her if you hated her for being so short oh it was it's a stupid thing <laughs> um it, it just doesn't make sense and the 180 is just an arbitrary number because what, what did they use back then like there was like or some some Chinese measurement thing because you can even notice in history, because you, you had characters like um, Lan Min or like 
just like Liu Bu. And they always question like, oh, why did people listen to this guy? Because he was like 190 centimeters tall. So he just went but around pulling everyone else. It makes a certain amount of sense though, right? Because I mean, you think about it, like height, stature goes with nutrition and that goes with like, you know, good family background, being able to feed your children enough. True, true. But a lot of these people, they were like, yeah. Yeah, I think height was one way that the you know that you know somebody from a good family stood out from everybody else, um, and it wasn't just height. It was probably you know unfortunately you know skin color is very important for you know sort of determining yeah. class status, right? Um, they really care about um, pale skin in um, China, which is another probably goes really bad against us when we when we try to uh, you know argue with white people because they they get an advantage because some of the more conditional types they side with the white people because they're like oh they're really white, yeah. <laughs> It's, it's, it's unfortunately something you see in many places in the world right? and not just China. Um, yeah, skin bleaching, horrible, um, horrible industry. But uh, yeah, I, I, I do get sunburned. I don't know if about you, I do get sunburned very easily because I'm my family's from the north and um, it, it's always been very weird for me because most um, uh, migrants, Chinese migrants or diaspora um, are, are kind of from the south and they don't get sunburned as easily as me. And they also have bigger eyes because my, my eyes are extremely small. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I mean, the, you know, <laughs> the North and South is very interesting because they're, you know, I think in antiquity, um, you know, they, they were really two very distinct groups that people in, in like Guangzhou, I think, were speaking some language related to Thai up until the Tang Dynasty, at, at least at the popular level. Oh, really? Yeah. And so we're, we're probably dealing with populations that, you know, have a lot to, you know, have connections to Southeast Asia, right? Mm. Or, or very similar. Um, so I mean, that's probably why there, you know, people often talk about the different sort of looks between North and South. Now, obviously there has been a lot of intermarriage. Uh, some people theorize that, you know, what you have in Southern China and Southwest China and Taiwan is a phenomenon where there are a lot of, you know, the Northern Chinese men come South, you know, for various reasons, often because of political turmoil and conquest. And they, intermarry with indigenous women right and mm. they're in mo in many cases their offsprings you know become you know, what we would consider chinese people um so i'm sure if i took a dna test on you know i would probably notice that on the father's my mother's father's side you know then you can sort of differentiate the dna at this point um there'd probably be connections to north china uh, and then you'd probably see some you know sort of indigenous um genetic mm. contributions um probably on the maternal line yeah, I, I I took one out of interest that the results are just like twenty percent um, Manchu Mongolian and five percent Central Asian, and the rest were like Chinese. It was it was interesting though. Like, hey, did you send your test to? Because I've I've heard that the the test is only as good as the samples are, and so if you're testing, so you want to have you want to send it to a company that has a lot of Chinese inputs. Yeah, there was a I think it's called Weijing. Oh, so you went to a Chinese one? Okay. Uh, no, 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 no. Um, I mean, that's the. I think that's the Chinese samples where they have all the Chinese things there. But I also heard some dodgy stuff about it. Like, I don't know if it's true or bad the claims because they say like they try to, because if you have non, say you have Central Asian background or something, that it doesn't really recognize that in the Chinese one because they they have all they really have are Chinese samples. So it just tries to like it makes it into something really totally random like. Um, I don't know, Kradai uh, or something, and because they, they you can't recognize that Central Asian sort of heritage. Yeah. Well, they should be North and China. I think some groups um, differentiate North and South Chinese. Yeah, they do. They do. Like, um, 
I would assume I'd probably get mostly Northern Chinese in, in mine. My sister's um, not went to an American one. She got 5% Central Asian. Um, oh, really? No. I'm, I don't know. I, it, it's, a, it's a lot of Central Asians back in China. That people don't notice oh, that. Oh, totally. But. I mean, let's, well, just to bring it to food, I mean, the word for, originally the word for dumpling, right? Um, today is jiaozi, but it used to be, used to be manto, basically, which is derived from um, a Turkic language, um, the word manto. And that is actually the word that they use in Central Asia and Turkey uh, for dumplings. Yeah. I mean, I like to say that because the, the reason that um, our family name um here which was actually tem, tem, temua which was descended from that uh it just literally meant smith because my ancestor was a smith so it's actually very boring <laughs> and i think today to this very day if you're like i think tem, temichi in turkey just means smith as well mm-hmm. so a lot of, lot of very boring um translations coming in but, but no it, i mean it, there's it, a lot of central asian influence in china of course right i mean they hmm. They gifted the Chinese grape wine, right? That's something from the, you know, the Persian speaking area. What war was at one point a Persian area, um, you know, Western China. Um, and it, you could actually up until I think 20 years ago still get sort of that indigenous red wine. Uh, my friend tried it actually when he was an exchange student, he said it was bad. Um, and if you read the, if you read the recipes, um, they only aged the red wine for a week. And, and it's yeah. oxidized. So this was actually one of the things that the, the earliest Jesuits complained a lot about was that the Chinese red wine was terrible, but it's like the w- red wine that you would find, you know, in sort of pre-Islamic, you know, um, Western China. <laughs> oh, I've never had it. Um, that's, that's Koreans have it. The Koreans have um, a version of it, um, which is not surprising, right? Um, um, and I was able to find it at the Korean market and it tastes like, Grape juice. What, what, what's it called in Chinese? Uh, Putatio. So it's literally just called the same thing as wine, but. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then how do you discern if it's the um, the old brand or the new brand? Because they have a lot of different wines. Like there's like Huangzio. And I'm like, this is yellow wine to my. No, Huangzio is actually beer. <laughs> it's, it's a is that what it is? Because they're like, what is this alcohol? I'm like, I don't know. It just says yellow alcohol. It's, it's, a, it's a strong beer or an ale. It, but yes, there's some people who really like, well, well, are planning to go down on that hill, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it, it's, you know, I mean, like a wine should be something that's fruit based. They're definitely fruit based alcohol, right? Like lychee wine, um, things made with pears, like grapes right those are things that you know still exist um mm. uh, and then there are the distilled liquors right that are made with you know often distilled from beer right like baijiu mm. or you can you know distill wine right and make a brandy um, is, and is there can... a connection between baijiu um like um, soju and sake or is it just like totally independent or of course they'll probably be connected in some way well, sake is probably related to Huangzhou, right? That's not that's not distilled. Okay. Yeah. I think it's not distilled. I think it's just yeah. Um, I should look that up though. I'm pretty sure it's connected to. It should be related to Huangzhou or Mijiu. Mijiu, um, yeah. There's another one. That's actually rice wine, but that rice wine keeps getting translated as Baijiu. It, it's so confusing because the they don't really have a word that's no, sort of a not, wine. No, it's not a wine. It's not a wine. Um, but Baijiu is distilled, right? So it's a distilled yeah. spirits. Um. The thing that's, I think, the most, the hardest to understand, I think, is the stuff that I am probably now minorly obsessed with, which is distilled horse milk. Horse milk. It's not a cereal-based, you know, alcohol, and it's not a fruit wine, right? Isn't that, like, from Mongolia? 
Yeah, okay. I mean, but it's all over Central Asia. I mean, this is like everybody's doing fermented horse milk, which is is carbonated. It's slightly alcoholic, and that is, you know, it's a step food. Some some archaeologists hypothesize that it comes from what we think of as, you know, the sort of Xinjiang, Kazakhstan area, so the central steppe, um, where you know horses were domesticated earlier than other places, and and they started to harvest the milk and then ferment it. Um, but it becomes, of course, something that the the the, the Mongols and the Shulnu and other sort of steppe people, the Eastern steppe, get into. Um, and and at some point, probably during the Song Dynasty, um, Northern Song is the first sort of Chinese record I've been able to find. They begin distilling it, um, and that's what makes this very clear baijiu kind of liquid, which I like because it it has it's a little spicy. It's like tequila. But it has like an, um, a vanilla ice cream finish. And so it's like one of the most unique things I've ever had. Are you still there? Yeah, that sounds interesting. I'm um, sorry about that. I don't know something happened. I don't want to try that. Yeah, because like there's something about um, Chinese like wine history I didn't know about. Like it, it's actually really broad and there's a lot of variety. But oh, it's all, all yeah. no, it's just baijiu, like arguoto, which um, tastes so, it's very strong. It's very much an acquired taste. For the, well, I like huangjiu a lot, and I, I really like niijiu. Um, but I, that's, you know, I, I have a sweet tooth, so that frees <laughs> the end. Oh, I can't take niijiu. It tastes kind of, I don't know, it's something about the, I don't it's know. It's sour texture. to you? It depends on where you get it. Sour, I mean, yeah. Joshing, mm. And if you get it when it's a little bit like, on the raw side, a little bit early in the game, you know. I, I don't mind Bajor though. I, I think it tastes great. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, then, you're, yeah, I am not a Bajor person. But anyway, the point is that there's there's so much there's so much great stuff. Um, and, and I assume in Australia you can get probably you could probably get the the horse or distilled horse milk. Really? Oh, I know we have Malta here, but it's so overpriced. This is like... from Manajio. They probably have it. It's like two thousand dollars a bottle or something. And oh yeah, well yeah, yeah, yeah. This this is really cheap. I I think you can get it for hundred RMB on Taobao. I'll I'll give it a try out. <laughs> um, yeah, that, it's weird because all, all you know people in uh, in the West they assume if you're Muslim you don't drink, but in China all the Muslims seem to drink apart from Uyghurs or really seriously practicing ones. Um, I mean, anyway, there's a reputation that Hui drink, yes. <laughs> yeah, and uh, also very much. It, it seems like. But well, Kumis I mean, is different. Like the fermented horse milk, it's a kind of a mild beer. That one I've heard is drunken throughout Central Asia. Because um, oh. it's not very alcoholic. Yeah, interesting. Um, are there any other dishes? Because I, I, I got a feeling that hot pot would come from like, you know, Central Asian roots as well. That's the general sense. I mean, you know, the problem is, is that we have one-sided records, right? Um, hmm. <laughs> I mean, like the earliest record, I think, that I, I know of, of, for example, of baklava is in Chinese. Like, oh, really? Chinese, yeah, they the write Turkish stuff food. down. They, they have a whole hui hui section to their like sort of family almanacs that are mass produced in the 13th century. Um, and so they have this, you know, Muslim food section. And so you'll find some of these manuals from the Mongol era, like references to baklava or halva. Um, What's it called halva. in Chinese? Uh, baklava, I don't remember. Something drawn, you know, drin, you know, something rolled, right? But if it's actually made the way that there's Ottoman records of making baklava with cheese, fresh cheese, which is what the Chinese do with and the nuts and honey. And it's on a, um, it's on a lao. It's like um, the same lao for lao bing, you know, they sort of- Lao bing. 
so wonderful stuff. So I, I think, you, you know, this is a, and it's marked as a foreign, a hui hui food, so a, a Muslim food, right? Um, yeah, that, there was also that, um, you, know, you know how there's like those Muslim bakeries? Kind of yep, like in Beijing. Beijing. Um, my mom used to take me there. And now they're disappearing, um, kind of in yeah, yeah, Beijing. it's very naughty. Yeah, on the, yeah, on it's the... very sad, and I, I can't even remember half the things that that used to be in those bakeries. But it, it um, there's a lot of, I think, buns and stuff. It, I can't describe it. It's, it's it's a fading memory, but it's very sad how it's disappearing. A lot of flaky days. cookies, a lot of things. With yes, butter, yeah, right, because you're going to use butter instead of lard. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I go usually and, and buy a bunch of it and bring it home. <laughs> but there's still some down in like you know, New Year or heavy or Dahong and like areas of heavy around China, uh, Muslim populations. But it, it's a sad. It's a little tricky trait. now, I would say. Things are yeah. more sensitive. But I, you know, the thing is, is that you know historically there's been a lot of I think appreciation, you know, for well, think about it. The Muslims were high status, right? Um, traders. Um, they were often um, people who did translations um, for various sort of conquest dynasties. They were merchants. You know, mm. merchants always get a warm reception in China. <laughs> I mean, China's been very hospitable. I don't know how people keep saying Chinese people are xenophobic. It's very rare. There probably are, but it's very rare to meet someone like that. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, look, I've been around a while. And I can tell you that generally people are friendly. I remember once, you know, there was a PO, you know, cab driver in 1999 after the Belgrade embassy bombing that wasn't the nicest, but he wasn't threatening me. And, and then at one point I was on a train and I was a kid, you know, and, and I think some guy was complaining about the embassy bombing and he was a loud mouth and everyone on the train told him to shut up because you know, he said, look, this is a young person. Do you think she's the American government? Shut up. <laughs> And it turned out to be okay. But the whole point was that, you know, if, if these things happen, I, I mean, I know there's a lot of complaint about like I, American sort of researchers have complained a lot about the fact that things are not as, as sort of friendly as it used to be. Hmm. I haven't personally experienced it. There's um, still a sense of awe, even with what's happening in America um, to, to America in general. Um, uh, actually, actually, honestly, I have to complain. One of the worst exports America has ever done to China is the Americano coffee. It tastes horrible. It's literally just a a, a black coffee with hot water poured over it. Okay. Um, but then I, I they, they, can, they can they can bring that to China. But do Chinese really drink that stuff? Yes, because um, I don't know. Maybe just when when I was in working in China, when we went to like well, they only had Starbucks really. And they were like, oh, can I have an Americano? And everyone was ordering an Americano. I'm like, oh, this must be really good. So I ordered it and it just burnt my mouth. And I was like, this tastes shocking. But young people I could make this at home. Novelty, right? I mean, coffee has really not taken off in the same way that bubble tea has. Oh, it's pretty big now among, I, I say, Eastern coastal cities, the big cities. No, they have, they, have, they, they now have those, those pour over cafes. They're very expensive, though. I mean, yeah, they're horrible. If you and ask they're very... a young person who's 25, how much bubble tea versus how much coffee they drink, I, I swear to God, bubble tea is a much yeah, Bubble tea wins. Um, and coffee is like, they all feel like those, uh, how do I say, drong B people who are like, yeah, I'm a very westernized. Ha, ha, ha. I well, but that's like, I mean, their, their coffee is like $6 a pop, right? It's like really, yeah. like the, the pour over stuff. Like that's like. Uh, there's a Starbucks open, I think, every two hours or something in China now. It's a crazy rate at the moment. But, but you yeah. can't, most people can't afford it. Like if you went for like a pour over place, it's really, it's impressively expensive. 
It is. It is. It's it's like half a day's wages, basically. Yeah, but and, my bubble tea is cheap, and that's I think where. Oh, uh, I've I've learned to never underestimate the power of zombie, like or to pretend to be something like a you know a fake cunt, as I would say in Australia. Well, yeah, uh, so, yeah. There's look, I they, they would uh, do anything to look good for face. They would do anything. Look, like, yeah, I'm sitting here with my 50 yen R&B latte. You know. Yeah, and then these are the, and you know you're talking to an American where we buy civet coffee and then nag the chinese about eating wildlife oh is that the poo coffee yeah they, they, that's a very big episode. oh yuck yeah that's, that's for western audiences only and so and then they complain that there's too much weird stuff in the chinese diet and they eat oh i saw this bloody fake american wannabe chinese girl she bought that poo coffee to work and i was like why would you drink that she's like eh, excuse me i went to new york and uh, I studied there for like two years, and I was just like, "You really need to work on your your American." <laughs> I can't do it. Yeah, it was, and well, she she had a fake one, so I was pretending to be her. And she, <laughs> I, I hate people that do that. I'm like, "You're not American. Stop pretending you are." And, and she's like, "Yeah, I'm basically American. I went there for two years, and you know, studied um, how to be an idiot." And I'm like, "Oh, great for you, mate. Yeah, good for you." <laughs> Am I gonna get harassed at the airport now after this? <laughs> oh, sorry. No, <laughs> INS is not gonna be happy with me. <laughs> He's not gonna be happy. I'm just teasing. I'm teasing. Oh, okay. um, no, I mean, look, the thing is, I, I, yes, I, I think people want to spending money displays a thing, but I think on an everyday basis, the students drink a lot more. <laughs> like if you go to the <laughs> camp, like into the high yeah. end, right, this sort of university district, right? Mm. Sure, you'll find places where you can get pour over, but every other shop is a bubble tea shop yeah yeah true true i mean like the the volume of bubble tea like 20 ounces i mean they they drink a it's lot cheaper. it's cheap and you know it's got things i mean like when i was about 10 years ago my friends would go with me to starbucks and every time we would go they'd order a macchiato you know one of those like things with lots and lots of whipped cream that was more like a milkshake than a coffee oh yeah so I don't know. I mean, I know that there are some coffee connoisseurs, but most people are not, at least in my age group. Anyway, Americanos are a crime against coffee. As an Australian um, side, I would say that. Uh, we, we have a very strong uh, Italian and European-based coffee culture. So it's, it's much more, um, I, I guess the, the milk is more milky, but not, not too crazy, um, where you have literally just uh, like, uh, what do you call them? Unicorn, whatever. <laughs> uh, pumpkin spice things I, I hear you guys have yeah because starbucks failed in australia you know that it's like one of the most famous business cases um i'm gonna tell that to my undergrad <laughs> yeah okay, I, you know corn coffee all right <laughs> in, in, i don't know in australia we have a division of america but yet we consume as much american culture it's weird um we call you guys seppos um something what do you call us things. seppos seppos it's like something to do with seppos so s-e-p-p-o as a separatist? No, no, it's like something to do with sep septic tanks. I don't know how that came along. Oh. And we always like, yeah, you know, it's American. They, they speak loudly on the, you know, the train. That's actually rich. <laughs> no, that's probably an Australian stereotype, but yeah. Have you seen Cross Crocodile Dundee? Yeah, but that's, no one is like that in <laughs> um, Australia. Like, like, unless you go to Queensland. Which is where my uh, actual podcast colleague uh, Reezy's from. He he he's from Queensland's kind of like the Florida of Australia. It's where all the oh, it's bad. I, oh, it's true. They always vote really right wing parties, and they 
they have a huge problem in Islam, even though they have the least amount of Muslims out of any state. It's just a weird place. And they just do dumb things like, um, you know, they, they, they always pray this thing against China, even though China literally buys all the agricultural goods. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, look, the thing is, I mean, that's a, that's a thing, right? I mean, Wisconsin got killed during the trade war, right? Because it's, yeah. the economy is 44% dairy, and I don't know what the rest of it is, but there's a huge ginseng component too um there's ginseng and wisconsin yeah I've never heard of that <laughs> yes yes i mean it's not it's not a big thing for wisconsin people they're you know they, they consume their, their own cheese but ginseng is for the export market wow uh, but the fact is is that you know you know chinese demand for things like milk and soybeans and pork this is this is really important for many economies right in the so-called western world mm. including battleground states like wisconsin which went to biden by twenty thousand votes yeah yeah i mean uh, that, that i guess you probably see it a bit closer because um that's all part of that midwest area right in america as they call well, it. well, I mean, it's not. <laughs> it's not that close, actually. It's probably really far away. No, it's but... not. It's the state across the big one of the rivers. Um, oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, there. you had a war Wait. with them. The UP, the Upper Peninsula. Oh, no, that was Ohio. That was Ohio. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. There's that one little bit of Michigan, I think, connected to Wisconsin. Michigan and Ohio had a war. Yes, I. I mean, I'm a Californian, so this this was once for me. You know my sense of geography was rather weak um but there 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 are different midwest this is the german midwest oh so who 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 lives what kind of people live in michigan then well i mean the ann arbor is of course like a university town so it's you know a lot of coastal people uh like me with coastal pretensions <laughs> right and i guess i and a lot of california and then a lot of chinese graduate students in hard sciences and engineering Mm. There seems to be a lot of Chinese students still. That that's interesting because I saw. Um, I keep hearing negative stories about the experience, which is really sad. Um, even in Australia, where I, I'd say half our students are Chinese at the moment, and it it's, looks to be shrinking because of the amount of persecution. Like, you, if you say anything that's pro-Chinese now, um, you, you, you get accused. Yeah, it's no. It's well, crazy. things are a little different here, right? I don't think. I mean, I think. Um, how do I put this? Uh, I think some of this is a function of geopolitics. Because um, I, I hear uh, similar stories from Canada, but the United States is, I think, at least at this point, you know, kind of a, it's, well, it's, it, it's a very, uh, it's a superpower, right? It's an empire. Mm. Um, and, and then one thing we know about, you know, the Chinese government is it respects other empires. Um, so yeah. I think that there is a sort of a different dynamic. Um, I, I think Chinese Americans have felt attacked. I think Asian Americans have felt attacked during the COVID crisis. Um, that is definitely a problem. Um, a lot of Chinese American restaurants, you know, closed. Some people feared it was because of racism. Mm -hmm. um, there's been an uptake in hate crimes against Chinese Americans and Chinese looking people, right? Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, there's been a lot of, I think, anti-Chinese media um, that at points, you know, I think goes, well, it, it becomes very one-sided, right? And, and definitely um, demonizes 
what 20% of the world's population. Um, so that's been, I think, very striking. And I would say that the anti-Chinese sentiment today in America is the worst I've ever seen it in my 45 years on earth. Um, you know, I don't really remember the first 10 years of that so well, but from what I can tell, this has really, you know, been very, very trying for many people. Um, but I do think that, you know, here, because the United States doesn't feel as threatened as other countries might by, uh, be by the rise of China as an economic you know, superpower or a military mm -hmm. superpower, um, I don't think that there's a same level of tension, you know, so being pro-China, people may disagree with you, they might roll their eyes, um, mm -hmm. but, you know, there's not going to be the same sort of, I think, you won't live in in fear of being accused of being a spy, you know, I think in the same way. Um, now we have some high profile cases of, you know, Chinese scientists getting rounded up by the federal government and then the charges being shown to be ridiculous. But I do think an everyday person doesn't see, or even an everyday academic doesn't, I think, face the same level, the same challenges you would see in Australia, for well, example. Well, Australia is not actually that obvious, it's a bit subtle. Um, so how, how it works is basically um, you, you're really discouraged, even from a young age, to see anything positive about China. It's been happening for so long. Um, so, like, recently there's that stat where 80% of Asian Australians experienced discrimination in the last 12 months. Um, so, it, it, it's just like small things. It's like, if we say you're speaking to someone in Australia, and as soon as they ask you back and you say Chinese, they, 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 their idea of you instantly becomes negative. Like there's some kind of, you know, you could be anything. You could be Xi Jinping's son. You don't even know that. It's very stupid. <laughs> no, no. Like, and that's my sense is it, it that, I mean, that, that things are maybe better here, you know, because I think that maybe we have a stronger tradition of, of, of civil rights. You know, it's obviously been tested and we've seen that there's a long way to go, but I feel like there's at least a basis, right? for pushing back and fighting. And you know, I was one of the number of faculty members that went to the university administration and said, you know, we need more support, you know, we need stronger statements, you know, we have identified these issues. Um, and so, you know, I think compared to other, I'm, you know, I, I, I read the news and, I, I, and I'm not always happy about what I see, but I, I do think that maybe Asian Americans are on a stronger footing. Uh, even in this tr very trying time, right? Yeah, yeah. It uh, maybe I, I'm I'm not sure. I haven't been. My dad's been, and he just said he was like in L.A. Hollywood area or something. And he and one day he was like in his hotel and he heard gunshots at night. And apparently that's like he kept happening for the next few days. Oh well, that that that's I mean. <laughs> that's just that way. That's well, that's 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 the United States and its crime, right? <laughs> Yeah. And, and social unrest, which is a thing. in Australia, like, if there's a gunshot in Melbourne, but everyone will be talking about it for like next two weeks. Yeah. Like, what the no, hell no, is no. a gun? What's this? No, 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 no. no, we love our guns. And in America, it seems just like you just people just shoot. Like, what the hell? That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's, yeah, that, that may be separate from the Asian American thing. <laughs> I mean, the, the guns, that's in the, that's in the amendment, right? That's in the constitution. Yeah. <laughs> Second amendment, first amendment. It's scary for me. So like whenever I'm like, oh, I'm going to America, but like, what if I just get shot? I'm like, oh, that's not cool. You're, you're unlikely to get shot if you're, you know, because your, your prospects of getting shot are a function of class, right? And, true, and true. Right. And so, 
these are all unfortunate things, but if let's say you go off to be hang out in an engineering program, right, or you're in some sort of affluent town, the chances of that happening are, are quite infinitesimal. Mm. I mean, you know, we, um, do, we do inequality very well here. Yeah, it's the, the, the infrastructure, the structural inequality is crazy. Just looking from the outside, it is so crazy. Because um, even even for for Australians, we our public health care system has been being it's kind of been destroyed because we've been trying to copy America. We're kind of we're going towards the Obamacare system, but we still have a lot of um, like we still can go to doctors for free basically. But America, like the, even the littlest turn to the left of any socialized healthcare, is seen as communism. It's just so crazy for us to, to just imagine, and that will keep so many people in poverty. I'm like, wow, it's just. Yeah. yeah, but these are things that, you know, I think are more on people's mind, <laughs> at yeah. least these days, right? Um, I mean, COVID's made it very clear that your chances of getting very, very sick or dying from this thing is a function of your wealth, right? Mm. And I would say sort of class and, and racial privilege. And, and this is, you know, not something to be proud of. Mm. It isn't, yeah. And Something that surprised me is because you, you talked to me about your class and you say that they're, well, I don't know if we can talk about it, but they're not they're quite neutral about the Chinese, you know, kind of thing. Because I assume that, you know, just judging from China watches, which of course is not representative of America, America will be like, oh, God damn Chinese or something like that, you know, and it's, well, it's an interesting thing. I mean, I'll tell them that, I mean, they'll probably listen to this later, but um, they're just so that if they're listening, they, they should know they're a delightful group and one of my favorite classes ever. Um, mm -hmm. What is interesting is that, you know, while they acknowledge the possibility that, you know, and they, they take, for example, um, Christopher Ray very seriously, this is our FBI director, um, they, they, you know, they are prepared to consider the possibility that China is, you know, a competitor to the United States, right? And so, Therefore, it could be considered as a threat. Um, however, they are very, very much opposed to any form of discrimination on policies that would, you know, be overly broad and target ethnic Chinese or other Asians. Um, and I think that that kind of nuance is something that I really appreciate about them. Right? It's the fact that they really want to differentiate governments from people, and you know, of Chinese extraction or nationality. And they've been there from day one. Um, so I, I mm. find that kind of impressive, actually. Uh, what, what portion of the students would have a Chinese background um, in your class? Probably, I mean, Chinese in the sense of ethnic Chinese or of Chinese heritage or overseas Chinese. Um, I guess all of that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> greater China, as they say. Um, I think about half. Oh, wow. I guess, yeah, you, you would run it. I mean, I would probably pick your class if I was at UN, you know, because. Like that'll be oh that'll be interesting you know learning about Chinese history and stuff. Well, we're not doing history. We're doing the we're looking at it. We're looking at controversies in China from the perspective of the American news cycle and all the things that have come up in the elections. Ah, uh, yeah, no, that'll be interesting as well. That definitely a, a top pick. So me. it's like it's definitely a critical engagement with American perceptions. You know, um, and it's really it's a citizenship class. You guys got to like we because everything that you guys say filters to Australia and then in the next morning and we we, we gobble up like crazy like it it, it simply doesn't make sense because we're really close to China and well you're so right <laughs> <life>, though <laughs> you guys got you gotta you guys gotta stop being so militaristic because we keep buying up all your junk oh no well 
stuff and it's costing so much of our GDP and the bu government budget each year and we don't do anything with it because we don't actually fight anyone. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, look, the, the thing is, I, I've told the students that I'm, I, I don't express political views um, um, yeah. on, on social media because I want them to have their to make up their own minds, to look at stuff critically and, and decide for themselves. Um, and because I think freedom of speech, uh, freedom of academic inquiry, these are things that you know need to be strengthened in the university. I think a lot of students feel that they go into a classroom and they're made to parrot professors um, and mm. follow a political party line. And you know, I think that's unfortunate. Um, you know, classrooms should be able to bring people who are you know, of any kind of persuasion together in a conversation. And so I had a class last year where we had a student that the other students thought was very nationalistically Chinese. Um, oh, and then wow. there was a student that was like, you know, I think of a very different political persuasion, right? That was maybe more of what we'd call hawk. And those two guys decided they wanted to work together on their final project. Oh. And so I thought that was a really kind of a nice thing where these two people, very different worldviews, were collaborating and having, you know, a, a productive dialogue. Mm. And that, that's, that's my dream, right, is to basically enable students to have conversations they would never have, to be able to talk about things with people who don't, you know, see things the way they do. And so my job is just to facilitate the conversation, to ask challenging questions, but not to impose my sort of myself on them. Um, you know, but we have, no, I, have an, I have a child and I can't even do that with her and she's four, right? Hmm. Well, that's good because uh, have you heard of a professor Pan Chengxin? No. And oh, oh, he's just he's just a everyday professor. Um, in Melbourne and he's Chinese heritage, but um, he's Australian basically. And every time he says anything mildly neutral about China, um, they tell people to get him fired from his job. Yeah, it's, I think it's, we need more sort of, you know, as you say, strengthening of academic freedom. And it's very opposite when say Kevin Carrico and um, the sort of anti-Chinese academic gang, they just say the most craziest things like, you know, Han Fu is, you know, Han's supremacy and all that. And they, they, they can just get away with it and keep attacking Chinese students. Even though the universities, these, these professors, a lot of these white professors teach at are basically funded by Chinese students. And uh, it, it's a very unequal system. Um, so Mr. David Brophy, have you, do you know him, Brophy? I've heard the name. Isn't he yeah. works on Xinjiang? Yeah, that's his specialization. Um, and he he gets a lot of flack because he's not even pro China. He just, uh, you know, he's just like, you guys got to stop accusing every Chinese person of being a spy. And he, he's been called a Chinese uh, spy and this and that. Even though he, <laughs> if you look at his tweets, he, he would even look like as an anti CCP kind of activist. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's just crazy yeah but I, I do think the united states is a very different you know space now there you know i i, I need to put disclaimers in, you know with that statement right which is that uh, i'm not a prc national i don't have a chinese surname mm -hmm. i don't even look chinese right i have a chinese mother but i don't present as a chinese person so mm. my experience in negotiating or navigating the world of like <clears throat> you know which is largely you know white academy is I think going to be different from somebody who is maybe someone who came over for graduate school who works on yeah. for contemporary China I think that you know they're going to have 
a different experience. Another thing is the the research trajectory, right? I, I'm interested in food. I think food is a beautiful thing that brings people together that, mm. you know, allows us to talk about uncomfortable things and <clears throat> with some remove and distance. Um, and whereas, you know, I think contemporary Chinese politics, you know, it it's really difficult. Um, mm. It's just very difficult now. <laughs> so, you know, I can't, I can't, I, I wouldn't sort of presume to speak for other people, um, but my sense is that things are pretty, are much calmer here. Yeah, <laughs> um, even in New Zealand, um, I think this thing seems to be like the Anglosphere in general, it's just become very uh, xenophobic. Um, I, I'm not sure if you saw the case of um, uh, a guy, Professor Goh Young, he's a uh, ethnically Mongolian um, migrant to New Zealand. And he's from actually from Xinjiang. Um, oh yes, I've seen I've seen some stuff with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, he, I, he gets constantly attacked as a genocide denier, even though uh, he, he actually goes back to Xinjiang a lot. And he's like, I just literally have not seen any evidence. And um, you know, that, it's a very controversial topic. And and I, I even asked him a comment about the recent Mongolian controversy about uh, language and stuff. And he's like, Well, I'm not going to comment on it because it's not my part as you know, he's from a different banner um, compared to Inter-Mongolians because he's a Xinjiang Mongolian. And you know, they're, they're more like connected Zungas, which are actually the actual original traditional custodians of um, sort of that area. In Northern Xinjiang, Xinjiang yeah. Yeah. And it, it, you can see that he has a lot of, you know, integrity and it's so sad that he's just being attacked um, as, you know, a PRC nationalist when he, he, he isn't even. I mean, if he was, he would have just been like, yo, I'm Mongolian, you know, uh, yeah, Mongolia. Yeah, Mongolia I, yeah. I, I think it's a little better in the United States. I mean, if you're out of Twitter, um, I mean, you know, sure. I have colleagues at the University of Michigan who have they like run the spectrum of <laughs> on the China question, and they're all contemporary China scholars, right? Mm. And you know, we've worked very hard to protect that diversity of opinion. You know, um, I, I, I would be very upset if all my colleagues thought exactly like I did about everything. I think that would be negative, a negative development, right? I mean, That'd be very be, boring. <laughs> and what's the point of having, you know, academic freedom if we don't, if we don't work hard to protect it? No, yeah. And I thought that's, that's what, that's, the Americans yeah. like really kind of like, that was their one contribution besides the Americano. It was learning during the Cold War about the importance of academic freedom and what, you know, tenure was designed for this, right? Mm. Um, now, you know, so my sort of neutrality, I guess, is a largely a function of, actually, it's a pedagogical thing. If I weren't mm. teaching certain classes, I'd probably mouth off more on Twitter. Um, <laughs> but it's really... I mean, even then, I still think you got attacked a bit just for being neutral and, yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, I did, someone did put a thing of bat soup up on my wall, yes. <laughs> yeah. it, it just doesn't make sense. Like, you, you kind of be neutral. They're like, pick a side. Yeah. Well, I had a friend, but it was really interesting. I, you know, I, I, I make friends on Twitter. I know people don't think they're real friends, but um, and this gentleman who I, I think is considerably more conservative politically than I am, he was outraged by that. Like, he actually took it back to the source, you know, and then, and then, um, copied the employer and decried it as a form of racism and I was impressed wow. so you know I'm impressed sometimes by the decency of fellow Americans what can I say <laughs> who are more conservative who you know are not afraid to say things like this is unacceptable yeah definitely definitely um there's one there's one thing that um <laughs> I find quite interesting um, about American um, universities as well is the uh, college sports 
Oh yeah, yeah. the Wolverines, yeah. Um, Michigan. <laughs> yeah, and I'm always surprised that um, that hasn't caught on in China yet. I guess it's China's people care a lot more about academics than uh, physical, like physical sports. Well, a different sport, right? They like soccer. Yeah, or well, basketball, especially. Basketball, that's something soccer. That's huge yeah, but not. But I don't. America. I don't think. Um, I don't think football's for everybody. Do Australians no. play football? Yeah, I play Aussie rules. We don't use armor or whatever you guys wear. I don't even know that. It was big pad things. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know this. Okay, I learned something today. We have a league. We have the most, I think it's the highest attendance league in the world. We're just sort of obsessed with sports. We have like a pro league for everything. Um, yeah, even ice hockey, apparently. Even though we have no ice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, 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 it's, I know, I think we even have people to play gridiron. Um, what, what you call football. Yeah, we call it football. I, you know, I, I, I have football students in my classes occasionally, so I, I'm, I support them all, <laughs> but I don't watch sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would, I was always thinking like, I think China needs to get some more sports at universities because, like, man, the Chinese soccer team sucks. Yeah, <laughs> they need to develop the talent, and as well as like, you know, it, it just seems like the, the general physical um balance academic balance is very lopsided in china like people care a lot more about academics and i think that's probably related to history as well and also about cultural values because you know ac academia was used to be one of the only ways a, a someone from a poor background could pull them up in society and and i think that's well, kind of still similar I, I mean i see this as a strength but and i think this you have to remember i grew up in a diaspora neighborhood in san francisco <laughs> so you know all of it looks normal to me um, I mean, Michigan is like, there, of course, are people who are very interested in the social life and, and sports, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to just be honest, and if my students are hearing, they should, they're going to blush, but I think my students work really hard at school, um, in general, like, I mean, no, 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 I'm not saying they don't work hard, I'm just saying that I think, there was, I wish there was more focus, like, in, no, no, like, I mean, I, I have assignments, I have to read and write a paper for every class, and they do it. And and we they come to class for <laughs> and they don't actually see that's us. true. I, I never actually did the readings. Yeah, that's right. When, when I was, I was an undergraduate twenty something years ago, often I'd go to a seminars and I'd be the only one who had done the reading. Right now it's like you go to class. Oh, you, know, you were that kid. And everybody <laughs> did. Well, let me look at the job I'm in. Right, um, but the <laughs> the point is everybody does the readings, and they don't always feel like they're not always foaming at the mouth, but they've mm. thought through stuff and. You know, I have been really impressed with their, like, I mean, it's not, you know, in Chinese, we always talk about right? In this case, I feel like the people that could be my children's generation are much more industrious and thoughtful and, and consistent performers in my generation. Definitely, yeah. So well, I, I, I like not, I'm not singing the praises of students just because, but I think that there is like, you know, if, if there are students who are less focused in school and I haven't really met them, um, and I've been teaching mm. for 18 years, so. I, I, I would have been the worst student in your class because I I never did readings. But, uh, you probably would because you wouldn't, I mean, like the other thing is there's a lot of like, I've noticed the students tell me that, you know, they they, they really respond well to this the peer learning thing and the peer environment. Mm. Uh, and so, I don't know. I mean, this, you know, Americans have been very well, some American universities have been very focused on developing pedagogy and making sure it's more than what I experienced as an undergrad. Um, and, you know, when we were, when I was first tenured, it was like, it felt like a lot of pressure on us. Like, mm. oh, how do we do research and then like innovate in teaching and all this other stuff. But 
the job becomes so much more pleasurable if the students are engaged and I learned so much from them. Um, so well, where did you do your undergrad? That's I went to Berkeley. Berkeley. Oh, that's that's a very Chinese school. Actually, I was about to, I was going to bring on someone else from um, Chow Collective, but that would have been a bit controversial. He's from UC Berkeley as well. He's a lawyer and um, we wanted to potentially do it the same podcast. But I'm like, oh, that could be a bit of a clash, maybe, because, <laughs> you know, because Chow has a, has a much more strong view on certain topics. Yeah. Oh, so I don't have a, I'm, <laughs> well, I, I mean, mean yeah, yeah. I'm not saying you don't, but it's just they, they have that, they, you know, what, what they're going to be saying. Yeah, no, I, I know. I know. I mean, part, again, this is about being a professor, right? And so yeah. it, it comes with a certain responsibility mm. to the students first. Um, mm. You know, I, I try not to like go off on Ivanka Trump, for example, in class. Like that's. <laughs> oh, she's really popular in China, and I don't like that. <laughs> well, <laughs> but the point is, is that you know, there's a place for political views. Um, you know, maybe in sort of secured social media channels with private friends, and then there's something that I think you have to project for the students who, because you want to mm. be their, the teacher to all of them, not just the ones who you know look and talk like you. Um, yeah. And so I think that's probably why I'm more mild. <laughs> I mean, I, I am very Cantonese. <laughs> so is my you child. Speak Cantonese or Not anymore. I used to. <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, so there's, <laughs> and you know, Cantonese women are not known for their, um, the light touch, right? Yeah, they get, they get a scolding a lot when I'm down, down in Chinatown. Um, <laughs> they they right, always right. think I'm like Korean or something. Um, but anyway. Uh, yeah, talk about Ivanka Trump. That was that really funny um, message from Trump. Is like if Biden's elected, um, everyone is going to be learning Chinese. But then you look at Ivanka Trump um, and um, but, or Trump's granddaughter, and she's learning Chinese. It's like, ooh. Anyway, he, he, I'll, I'll be honest. A lot of the gaffes, like it's probably horrible for what's happening in America. But from as an outsider, we just can't stop laughing because this guy's like a giant. He just seems so funny. Um, there's everything but like it's like this. I don't know, someone doing Alzheimer's just saying a bunch of crap all day. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, oh, look, I mean, have you seen him dance to YMCA, which is, I think he does it at the end of every single. Um... Oh, it's like white people dancing. Sorry if people get offended, but it. it's really white people dancing. It's so well, funny. Well, I mean, it's, he, I'll say this, he's a character. Um, I don't know if it's going to be hugely controversial if I say I don't, I don't, I don't agree with everything he says. Um, <laughs> I mean, you're at university campus, so yeah. No, I know it's like <laughs> controversial. I mean, I would say that to anybody, but um, mm. so you know, another day, another president, a new chapter of, of American history, <laughs> world history. One hopes, you know. Um, you know, I, I think it would be nice if I didn't have to look at the electoral college map you know i mean i spent a good week doing that when i had other things i should have been hey, doing. you got power because you live in michigan so you you your, your vote counts for more <laughs> <laughs> well yeah. i mean you know, everybody's vote counts and and i think americans actually they they went to the they went voted in in historically high numbers which you know yeah has been a problem in the past so i thought that was very positive very foreign concept for me australia we have compulsory voting so we basically have 97 percent Okay, right? well, <laughs> this is the United States, right? I mean, you remember this, your story about the guns? I mean, yeah. I mean, we we work vaguely like you, but we're not apparently mm. all that much like you. I mean, 
it, it is kind of an interesting question. Like, yeah, I know we have a lot of your movie stars. They just sound like Americans now. Oh, no, they put it on. Then I come back and they're like, oh, yeah, g'day, mate. My name's Chris Hemsworth. And I'm like, oh, you fake cunt. You fake. You're so fake. Anyway, <laughs> it, um, it, it's the, what do you call it? The, uh, you know that episode of The Simpsons where they go to Australia? <laughs> I haven't watched The Simpsons, so I haven't. Oh, no, it's just hilarious. If you ever watch it, it's like the, the, there's this one scene where um, they get really angry and the dude's like, I'm going to go talk to my member of parliament. And he's literally just like, like, oh, a member of parliament. And then the member of parliament's like, I'm going to talk to the prime minister. And he just looks over the fence like, oh, a prime minister. It's, it's, that's basically Australia in a, in a gist. So the guy's over the fence. He's like, oh, wait, mate, get in. And it's very, that's very, very racist as well. You know, they're, they're always like, they come up to you, like, hey, where are you from, mate? And I'm like, oh, Australia's like, oh, really? But where are you really from? I'm like, yeah, you know, Australia. But then you ask that kind of question, then like, oh, I'm Australian. I'm like, yeah, but you know, are you from England? He's like, yeah, but that's that's ages ago, mate. And it, it's just, <laughs> it's it's in a very Australian thing. Yeah, well, I mean, those questions happen, but they're, we're, I think there's a general awareness that that's not appropriate. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. At least, you know, at least in major cities of the United States, like that is considered a problematic way to approach people. I mean, that's. Mm. Uh, which I guess is, you know, I mean, I, I, yeah, I think things have improved since my mother arrived in the United States in 1973. Um, I just would like it to go a little further, you know, because um, I, I would like all my students to feel comfortable in classrooms or at the airport or dealing with border control, right? I mean, that's, that's the hope that, you know, my daughter's generation will not be facing this. Mm, definitely a good message, I guess. I mean, I, hopefully that, that's a thing that could happen all over. Um, well, I, I assume we lead, so we, I'm insisting that we do it. I mean, look, the United States wants to stay relevant. Let's be relevant in good ways. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, mean, I know we give you entertainment, but I, I assume that there's sometimes we, we do some things right. Uh, okay. <laughs> I actually don't know. Like in terms of food exports, all I can think of is like McDonald's and Americanos. And is there anything? There's more, very there's more than that. I mean, there's more. I mean, you guys, you guys got pies, but it's like these weird fruity pies. We got meat pies. No, we have other things. We have other things. I mean, look, I, 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 I will admit, I, I prefer eating in China. But you know, there's this whole state called California that. What's your favorite cuisine then? In in China? <laughs> oh, just in general. That's Chinese food, probably. Yeah. Which which region? That's... It, it's a it's a mood thing. Oh. If I'm I mean, sick, you, you, if you had to pick one. If I'm sick one. or sad, I'll want Cantonese, right? Yeah. You know, if I'm feeling if, if snobby, you... then I'll I'd like something Shaoxing or Suzhou, right? Or Shaoxing, really? Oh, and that's the I'm worst city I've ever been to. I really like Yunnan a lot. Um, I hate Shaoxing. It just stunk like sticky tofu the whole place. I like sticky tofu. Um, oh, yeah. Which one? I, I like in small doses. I mean, I, I think Yunnan food is really unique. Uh, I don't like Yunnan food. It's actually it is unique because there's a lot of like what you call it. Is that like vermicelli or something in it? And yeah, there's vermicelli. There's cheese. There's cheeses. Yeah. I, I, it's weird because when I eat Chinese cheese, I don't get lactose intolerance or whatever. I don't get that kind of reverberance but when, when you're not I supposed eat... to get it from cheese well <laughs> if you're really, really lactose but, yeah cheese and but i get 
cheesy Every items in Australia, I get a lot of flatulence. It's horrible. And that, but flatulence is not the. It's probably the. It's probably from the fat. Oh, damn! That, you know, cheese is, is reduced, and then butter is none, and um, or virtually none. And Chinese cheeses are soft, so they 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 have they're like less reduced than like a hard European cheese. Because I've never had lactose when I drank that this weird milk cow yogurt thing in Beijing they put in their little stores. Well, yogurt is supposed to be like probiotic and has other sort of like, you know, there yeah. are these cultures that eat the break down the sugars for you, but you know, it might be, it might, lactose intolerance is a complicated phenomena. Yeah. Should we call it lactose tolerance? Because you know, it's, it's very much, most of the world is lactose intolerant. I mean, honestly, I don't even think that they are intolerant. I mean, the Mongols don't have the sort of so-called magical gene and like up to 30% of their, their, calories come from dairy and, and some archaeologists from Harvard were telling me that you know a lot of it's fresh dairy not even fermented dairy um, so either we don't have the genes we haven't found all the magical genes or mm -hmm. we discounted and this is like hugely shocking too that maybe people's sort of ability to digest foods are a function of their diet and overall health oh okay. like I mean imagine that right <laughs> yeah I mean that, okay. that the rest of your diet would impact your digestion if, if say, if you were stuck in ancient China, you couldn't move to another city-state, wh where would you choose to eat? Actually, they would, would have different food as well to that thousand years ago. In ancient China? Like yeah. how ancient? Like warring states? Uh, let's say, let's say Qing Dynasty, okay. And you couldn't go to the other, because you're, you had your, your Huben, whatever, your hukou was like stuck there. Oh, in illegal. the Qing. Oh, in the yeah. Qing, I could, I could live with that. Um... Which, which province would you choose? Gosh, that's, I mean, coastal probably, Ooh, probably, so like probably Guangdong, or... probably Guangdong, yeah. Guangdong. Oh, but which city then? Because each, each city has their own. <laughs> oh, that's easy. Shunda. Shunda, really? Wow. I, I guess that, you can also basically one. move to the other cities because it's all in that Pearl River Delta. Uh, otherwise, Shaoxing would probably be the other place, you know. I, I don't understand, like, what's, what's, what's good about Shaoxing apart from the stinky tofu? Uh, they have a lot, they have this like river crab that's marinated in rice wine in Michio. That's really pretty amazing. Um, the other thing is I like, I like the, um, the crab, um, the tofu that's made of duck, salted duck cake, but also, with, you know, what looks like a crab roe. It's like the crab yellow. That's really What's good. What's it called? Um, I mean, now you're, well, I think we often call it xian dan tofu. Um, but you can also have like xie huang tofu, right? Whoa, huang tofu. That sounds expensive just because of the Okay, okay. Yeah, but the thing is like there's, but the, the xian dan tofu is really good. So I, mm. I like that a lot. Um, and those are, so the tofu is great. I which, like- Which type of stinky tofu do you prefer though? The Shaoxing version or the, I think was was the other one's from Hunan, is it? There's, everywhere has it. Like even Taiwan yeah. has like various versions. I mean, um, I like them both. <laughs> I just know Taiwan is it, 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 the food there is just like it's just a mix of everything because all the migrants or every Chinese province moved there. Well, Xiamen is also really good too. I mean, they they do the ocean. So you know, there's in China, there's a distinction between sort of freshwater seafood, right? Or um, yeah, I went to Xiamen and it was crazy it felt like little taiwan you know they yeah. have a they have a cheese tradition in uh, right outside shaman but they in shaman they have it too was it jungle it's, it's, like or... it's like it's like a it's a curd that's been brined it's actually very similar to what you find in Shunzhu. so it's like oh. a feta um and they but they deep fry their 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 brine cheeses 
and serve okay. with pork or just deep fry it and eat out with kanji. I just it's know that Taiwan, the, the bubble tea shops, it's just like every two meters there is a bubble tea shop. It, it's, it, it's saturation to the market. <laughs> no, no, is it, the thing is China is, I think, the largest consumers, well, obviously because of the sheer number. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but it is, it's a thing, right? I mean, bubble tea is big. And now, have you had the cheese teas? Oh, that, that only happened in Guangzhou. It was huge in um, Canton when I was there. Um, a si cha and like, yeah, nai cha, like nai cha, like the cheese on the top with the little foam. Is that what you're talking yeah, about? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really, I like that a lot. Yeah, that's good. That was good, actually. I loved it. But it's hard to find a good one because you, you got to have that good balance. You can't have it too cheesy or too milky. That's like, yeah, the Chinese have figured all that out. I mean, they're, you know, they, I mean, the thing about them that people don't realize is that actually once you're able to buy milk, they, they put it in everything sweet. <laughs> like, I mean, there's like all the mooncakes, like the snow skin mooncakes have milk in them. <laughs> like even, even in places you wouldn't expect them to be. Mooncakes just get worse every year. No, they get better. I think I think they're getting I think they're getting more creative. Um, just that one flavor, which tastes shocking, but my grandma loves. It's like this filled of nuts. Oh yeah, Warren. Yeah, the five nuts. Yeah, that's the one, Warren. It is the most disgusting thing I've ever eaten, um, and I will put I will die to my grave that thing that statement. It's disgusting. <laughs> yeah. Really? Oh no, 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 that's very Central Asian though. This whole like nut mix. Oh, really? I, yeah, I don't know, but my grandma cookie, loves it. There's, yeah. there's a cookie in the Middle East called mamul, which has the same mold as mooncakes, the Cantonese mooncakes, the, the baked mooncake mold. Um, you should check it out. I mean, I think it's really interesting, and I, I'm sure there's a connection. I mean, you know, Guangzhou and the southern, the southern coastal cities like Quanzhou and, and Guangzhou had used to have very large, like, you know, Muslim merchant communities, right? Um, yeah. In the medieval period, so. They have a huge mosque in Guangzhou, beautiful one as well. They have one. They have them in Fuzhou too, right? Yeah. And and Trenzhou, yeah. So, actually, there's one outside of Shanghai in Songjiang. Songjiang, yeah. I mean, that's where originally Shanghai was, Songjiang County. Yeah. Yeah. That, and then they different. have they have they have a mosque there, and actually, one of their cookbook authors actually has a fair number of, and they call it hui hui, um, you know, snacks in the cookbook. Yeah. Very proud, you know, like you, you go to Beijing, even Dongwei Shun, they have like, you know, a halal plaque, you know, or all these Muslim um, owned chains. A lot of the laws are whole version. Oh, yeah, yeah. All the, all the curd makers are, are Muslims or it's, a, you know, Chinese mm. Muslims, right? Large part of Beijing cuisine, yeah, is halal, which is crazy. And no, because uh, it's, I think it's not crazy. I think that's Beijing has well, always been an international city. I mean, I mean like China's been a multi ethnic state for centuries thousands right? of years i think if, not, it's not a ccp invention it's, it's if, even if it's like the you know earliest you could say you know people from chin state would be very different from say someone from chu you know well, well they, they, they were they hated each other multi-ethnic I, I think that this is definitely you know hmm. i would say from the mongol era on this is a fact well, no even tang dynasty because they, they were the, the emperor of tang was basically half turkish well there are other the Shinbei, yeah and there i think yeah. the tang tides one son lived in the courtyard in a yurt yeah um, <laughs> or you can even say that before that because the sway uh, yeah, and, and the toba wait yeah they're all they're, yeah but china and, doesn't uh, like it right i mean they have if you look at chinese nighttime programming right 
this is something that has really come out of the margins and is actually celebrated, right? They have all sorts of TV shows about Toba peoples. Yeah, what's with Bei Wei and Nan Liang? There was that really big one about Nan Liang, Lang Ya Bang, Lang Ya Bang, I think. Oh, I think there's more than one. <laughs> and that was like hit number one ratings for like two years. And there's like, a so Young Princess too, right? I mean, there's like, there's Wei a Yang, lot. Yeah, and uh, Lan, Lan Ling Wang. Yeah, and that would be angry because uh, Lan Ling Wang was during the Northern Qi. And he had most, one of the most disgusting and horrible emperors of all time, Emperor Gaoyang, uh, Emperor Wenxuan of Gaoyang. He was like so crazy. He went around just killing people for no reason, like a serial killer. And he, they didn't put him into the show. I mean, surely that would have spiced up Chinese TV. Interesting. Like, have you seen the Yanqi Print Palace show? Oh, yeah. But that's just basically like um, Gossip Girl, but in medieval times. No, it's not. Okay. I mean, Barbie dolls do not do the things that the Yanqi Prince, the, 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 the lowly um, sort of. Yanqi yeah, Gunglia, you mean? Yeah. She's like, uh, I mean, um, she's interesting. Like, I mean, she basically, when people mess with her, she kills them. <laughs> I mean, she's oh, yeah. intense and she's like motivated by vengeance and she's cunning. I mean, this is not part of our sort of like the scripts that American women heroes are, you know, allowed to. Oh, yeah. there, there have been some strong women, like you got Shang Guan Wan, Wu Zetian, you know. They're problematic. Like they're 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 interesting psychological specimens. That's what I would say. They're more they're more intense than, than I'm used to seeing on TV. Yeah, I mean, I always have this feeling that um, Daji was framed, you know, because she's a strong woman back in three thousand years ago. Wow. And, the, the, and she was framed as a fox spirit. And <laughs> she probably was just a very beautiful lady and they blamed it on her for her husband's failing to rule, you know? Yeah. So they made up a story about her, you know, basically uh, seducing him and making the country go bad. Yeah. Okay, so Mr. Tamir, I, I probably have to, I have to, don't, don't oh, want yeah. to talk about childhood, but actually I have well. to read promotion cases, so. Yeah. So, so um, uh, maybe cut that last. Maybe cut that last comment. <laughs> yeah, sure, no problem. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to be brushing up on my knowledge of European languages shortly. Um, <laughs> all right. Yeah, was, well, I, I hope to meet fun. you one day when things have calmed down. Yeah, you always welcome to Australia. It's very sunny. Good to raise your kids. <laughs> but anyway, um, um, I, yeah, maybe I'll see you in China. <laughs> true. True. 雄花见你